welcome to the Audit 15 Fun Podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, we're going to be talking about cybersecurity. And to talk about that topic, I have Nick Espinosa. Nick is the chief security fanatic of Security Fanatics. He is an expert in cybersecurity and network infrastructure. Nick has consulted with a multitude of clients, small to Fortune 100 companies and governments. He's a TEDx speaker and is very involved in the cybersecurity community. Welcome, Nick, to the podcast. It's an honor to have you on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So most of the listeners of the podcast are internal auditors who may know some IT, may have done some IT-related audits because it's kind of hard to do an audit in which IT is not involved, but maybe that's not their specialty. And maybe they're interested in moving into the IT audit field or even just cybersecurity. So from your perspective, what type of training can someone who is not very involved in cybersecurity or who wants to learn more about cybersecurity, what type of training can they take to learn more about it? Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of different avenues, especially for auditors out there when we are talking about having to audit or assess IT infrastructure or cybersecurity controls. Having a good foundational understanding of things like infrastructure is actually one of those things that is incredibly important. And I'm not saying everybody has to go out and get deep certifications in network infrastructure, but there are basic certifications out there for deeper understanding. So for example, CompTIA has what's called a Network Plus certification. This is something that most companies would give to entry-level IT personnel to really get them down that road to understand essentially you know, how data moves from A and B, how you would set up and structure a network. On top of that, you know, outfits like CompTIA, again, have Security Plus, which again is another entry-level kind of certification for cybersecurity that gives you a pretty good primer on cybersecurity without, you know, not going that in depth. I'm not asking anybody to, you know, turn into a hacker here just to run an audit, but having those conceptual, just large rock understandings of, of the approach of cybersecurity as it applies to infrastructure, I think is one of those really important things that we see out there. You know, now on top of that, usually what I recommend, especially if you're going and moving towards a cybersecurity field, is, an, is to understand that at the end of the day, all cybersecurity really is doing is quantifying risk as it applies to the organization, as it applies to cybersecurity, meaning, you know, what are the vulnerabilities in the network infrastructure? What is the value of the information that they have? What are the vulnerabilities overall to the organization to essentially try to quantify cyber risk? So as we are auditing or assessing this, you know, and pick your scale, ISO 27001, the new CMMC from the Department of Defense, at the end of the day, we're looking at quantifying those risks and then understanding how these security controls, these executions have been put into this network to protect not just the network, but its users as well. So starting with some of those basic overall understandings is gonna give you as an auditor a much better idea of what we, the nerds, you know, for every company are doing, whether it's building and maintaining the infrastructure or defending it, you know, which just tends to be my job. Yeah, very, very good response. And definitely quantifying risk is not something that is foreign to an internal auditor. But I think, like you mentioned, you know, for cybersecurity, it shouldn't be, right? (laughs) Cybersecurity, same thing, just quantify the risk. So, and cyber risk has been a top ERM risk for a few years now. And every year there's a, you know, survey of the top risks and it's always there. So in your opinion, 
today, what is the most prevalent cybersecurity risk? And second question there is, has there anything significantly changed pre-post-COVID? Oh, yeah. So I'm going to start with your second question first, because essentially the beginning of the pandemic was essentially a bomb dropping in the cybersecurity community. We took more calls, meaning me at Security Fanatics, like we here at Security Fanatics, took more calls on things like ransomware attacks than probably in the last three years. It was absolutely nuts. I also happen to be the chief spokesperson for the COVID-19 Cyber Threat Coalition, which was basically a volunteer organization of over 4,000 cybersecurity professionals in 24 time zones. And we were looking for IOCs or indicators of compromise. And at the height of the pandemic, when this was all ramping up and the world was basically panicking and melting down, what we were seeing were five thousand malicious websites being registered every single day we were looking at and sifting through 100 million indicators of compromise basically what changed in the pandemic and it was the first time essentially in the modern era that we in cybersecurity had ever seen something like this was every single criminal jerk on the planet that was a cyber criminal was using the pandemic as some kind of lore to get everybody to click on something, go somewhere, buy something. It was absolutely outrageous. If you remember the beginning of the pandemic, you know, it was, oh, nobody can find toilet paper. Nobody can find PPE. Click here to buy my fake PPE and on and on. Oh, your stimulus check from the government didn't get to you. Please, you know, click here to, to get a new stimulus check. This is what we were seeing absolutely all over the place. And it was an utter nightmare because a lot of the times what would happen is, you know, the, the CEOs of the world would say, everybody's working from home, you know, get out of the buildings. Obviously we're pandemic going on. A lot of pressure was put on IT. IT ended up cutting corners because they had to get out as fast as possible. And so they started opening up vulnerabilities that we normally don't see. So the pandemic dropped a supercharger and a focal lens essentially into the cyber criminal community. And it absolutely sucked for about six months. Now, <clears throat> that said, as obviously we've all adjusted the pandemic, we're kind of out of it, you know, or however you want to describe that as we're sitting here, June of 2020, obviously a lot of those threats, you know, have, have not necessarily gone away, but they have shifted and they have morphed a bit. Obviously a couple of years ago, as we were rushing to the pandemic, a lot of those vulnerabilities have been hammered out, have been fixed as IT got around to, to getting back to that. And so we see basically two core things as, as huge problems right now if we are talking about the actual cyber threat that you or i or anybody else are going to see the first one is ransomware ransomware hasn't gone away interestingly enough there's a bit of a pause in it due to the war in ukraine that's something that interestingly enough we've been involved in you know for a bit the other one is actually business email compromise scams which according to the fbi is on track to actually make more money than ransomware right now. And that's basically due to all the stolen usernames and passwords in the dark web that allow me to basically copy and paste, you know, a stolen username and password into like an Office 365 login. And if you don't have good security controls there, I get right in, I take over your account, you know, then I start phishing other employees in the company, you know, have them move money. I actually had a case of that a couple of years ago where a company lost almost one and a half million dollars over about a month or two when they thought they were talking to their financial advisor and they were talking to anybody but their financial advisor and that person was ordering them to send money here, send money there. So these are things that, you know, that we see. And obviously stolen usernames and passwords and identity management is another huge problem that we have. Colonial Pipeline is a perfect example of that. Stolen username and password, they use that to log into Colonial Pipeline's Fortinet VPN and got right into the network and then shut the billing system down. The pipeline was never hit. 
they shut the billing system down. Colonial Pipeline couldn't figure out how to how to basically bill all of their customers for their gasoline. So they shut the pipeline down until they could figure that out. And then national panic. So so yeah, so those are the two critical things that we see. But the but the pandemic really did change the game. It 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 basically forced cybersecurity to pivot and realize we need to start following Google trends better than we are right now, because anything that's trending in the general population that's causing panic, they're going to exploit. And that's normal for, for attackers, but it was worldwide, worldwide. And that is the crazy part. You know, not everybody celebrates Christmas. We always see Christmas fishing. Everybody was in the pandemic. So yes, geez. yes. And thinking of thinking about those risks, you know, that you mentioned business email compromise seems to be rising and it's almost going to be the number one, according to what you mentioned from the FBI. So in think about those risks and the controls in place to prevent or detect those risks. What are some of the most effective controls that you see out there and what are the least effective? Yeah. So hands down, the most effective, the most effective thing that we have is user education. It is so unbelievably important. I like to say that I can build you a Ferrari's worth of a cyber defense strategy, but if I'm turning the keys to the Ferrari over to a chimpanzee, how far are we going to get, right? We have to learn how to drive. And so, <laughs> so by virtue of that, that is the most important thing. At the end of the day, if something gets through all of the threat detections, all of the, the systems and the filters, it's up to the user to recognize it's bad and not click on something and ideally report it to their cybersecurity staff or IT staff. So that is the number one thing that we have. We have to train our users. I cannot pound that in enough. That is the most effective defense that we can put in. On top of that, you know, we have things like enterprise spam filters that, you know, ideally are catching these things. We've got web filters. We've got, you know, good firewalls with unified threat management to detect threat. We've got endpoint detection response systems, you know, to back up the firewalls if something actually does get into the system and attempt to infect you and the network. But I would say probably the worst thing that we have right now in terms of controls is two different things. One, it's more conventional and traditional cybersecurity products like traditional antivirus. Gone are the days of the older antiviruses, think like Norton and McAfee and Symantec and all of that. We have moved on to start utilizing things like artificial intelligence, behavioral control, those kinds of things. That is, you know, one of the weakest links that we still see. And cybersecurity is one of those, one of those areas that pivots on a dime. We never know when that 15-year-old kid is going to break all of Google and we all have to slam on the brakes and figure out what on earth that kid did. And now how do we defend it? Which actually happened in the mid-2000s. You know, there was a kid called, called Cosmo and he broke Google, he broke Apple, he broke Amazon, he broke everybody. And we had to figure out, oh my God, you know, what did this kid do? You now, how do we improve all of our products? Because if Google's getting hit, like, you know, that's obviously an issue. So, so that I think would probably be our number one issue. That too, and the other big issue that we have are untrained people, meaning they will click on everything. They will open up everything. Prince Ubuntu in Nigeria really does need your help with his revolution and you're willing to send money. <laughs> Those are the kinds of people that, that we have issues with, you know, and those are the ones that need the most training. They need the most TLC when it comes to these things. But I'd say those are our two biggest things, antiquated systems and not being trained. Yes, yes. Very, very good points. And you know, I, I love your, your comparison about the, the Ferrari and the chimpanzee. I'll definitely use that going forward. So think right. about maybe some organizations that, you know, don't have the money to buy that Ferrari. <laughs> what are some of the minimum set of controls apart from user education that they can implement to help improve their security controls? Right. Well, if they have a, if they have a physical building, 
I mean, having an enterprise level firewall with unified threat management is one of those things that is that is absolutely essential. If we're talking about the actual controls, you know, another absolutely essential thing is having a good endpoint detection response system that that essentially makes sure that your your machines in the office, you know, if they do get infected in some way, shape, or form, have much better ability to detect and essentially contain a threat before it spreads. On top of that, we have to think of other things such as vulnerability management which is so unbelievably important. So many companies and organizations get hit because they didn't patch or update any of their systems. Equifax is a perfect example of this. We all got screwed with Equifax. You, John, me, everybody's information got dumped thanks to Equifax. And Equifax's official report basically stated like, oh yeah, Bob and IT forgot to update Apache Rails, which is their public facing cloud infrastructure. Damn it, Bob, like why didn't you update it? That was their entire thing. And and that's the point. They had an Apache Rails system that was about two months old or so. And essentially those vulnerabilities are known to the world. They're published in what is called the CVE database. And so if you're not keeping your infrastructure, especially your public facing infrastructure up to date, it's simply just copy, paste and go. And, and, and that is a huge, huge problem that we have. So if you're doing those things, I think those are some of the critical things. The other thing to have, especially for contingency planning, it's one of the most important elements of cybersecurity is good backups as well. You've got them on-prem, ideally in immutable storage, so you have fast restoration, but you've also got them in the cloud. The way we back up in the cloud makes it very difficult, you know, to access, attack, and destroy, you know, if you're doing it right, you know, if you're an attacker. So that's, a, that's another big one that we've got. And the whole thing is under the umbrella of asset management. Because if you don't know where your assets are, then how do you know they're defended? How do you know they're updated? How do you know somebody's not stealing them from you every day? So having everything under asset management and everything else I mentioned is essentially the, the table stakes, basic things that any organization should be doing right now to properly defend themselves or at least get down that road. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, kind of going back to the user education as the primary way to the organizations can use to, you know, prevent those cyber risks. You know. Some people are like, you know, they're getting so much information. They're just getting, you know, they have so many email accounts and so many passwords and this and that, you know, there's some security fatigue, right? That's the term that's used. How much of that is impacting the ability of organizations and people to identify and mitigate risks that are out there? Yeah. Well, I mean, and fatigue is fatigue. I mean, you can, you can think about it this way. You know, every time, you know, CNN's Sanjay Gupta has a new hair product, there's a breaking news story about it on CNN. Every time something happens in the world, CNN puts breaking news out there. And it's to the point where nothing is really breaking news. Right. Everything is breaking news. And so recently they decided, I got to kill this. They, they got to kill this. So CNN is really reducing how they're using breaking news. And, that, and that's essentially what it is. If, you, if you're trying to maintain this hypervigilance 24 hours a day, you're just going to burn out. So the whole point of having education is, you know, it's like riding a bicycle. You're not going to ride it necessarily every day, but you remember how to ride a bicycle. And so it's that rote, you know, for it's that rote understanding, that rote knowledge. If we are sending, you know, phishing emails, you know, to our employees, you know, once a month and they're spending, you know, let's say half an hour a month understanding what a, what a phishing email looks like or understanding what a cyber threat is. We're slowly drumming those things in. The other thing that organizations are doing to kind of combat this thing is to incentivize it. So I've seen plenty of small to mid-sized organizations say, every time you spot a phishing email, whether it's one of the ones that we sent out as training, or if something got through the filter, 
and it, it you know and you're looking at this and you report this and and nothing happens meaning you know it has killed it you know you've not infected anything you score points and at the end of the year the one with the most points gets a thousand dollars for most organizations a thousand bucks is pretty easy to spend yep. that's a pretty good payday for an employee right that's an extra thousand bucks you know so so by virtue of that there are ways to incentivize this and i've noticed that those companies that do incentivize that in in that way you know are essentially those that have employees that are more vigilant you know so so there are ways to combat this but yes i mean if you're if you thinking that your employees are going to walk in every single day you don't know, have this combat like warlike you know mentality of you know it, everything's incoming always it just doesn't happen now in cybersecurity i expect different you know, we have to basically maintain combat readiness 24 hours a day because we are always under attack, you know, and basically as professionals, I, I, I can show you the laundry list of attempted phishing emails that, that my spam filters pick up every single day, not to mention, you know, direct messages on LinkedIn, text messages, all these kinds of things that we get when we're, especially when we're in the public eye, but that's required of the job. When I'm off the job, I don't, I don't have to maintain that readiness, right? I just don't answer my email. <laughs> I wait for the next day, you right. know? So, so yeah, so for the average employee, you know, you don't, you don't want to burn them out because fatigue will be burnout. It's the same way if you're showing up to a crappy job year over year, at some point you're going to leave. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, it's, it's, it's in that same vein. Yeah. I think that's an excellent idea, incentivizing, you know, employees to, that's a simple thing to do, right? Just reporting phishing email and at the end of the year. Right. What company can't afford, you know, a thousand bucks at the end of the year? Right. Consider it a bonus. Right. You know, however you want to describe that. But, but you know, for a lot of employees, oh my, a thousand dollars. I mean, that, that pays for Christmas presents or Hanukkah presents or Voodoo Day presents or whatever <laughs> you believe in. Right. I mean, this is, you know, these, these are things that, that, you know, we, we take for granted, but it's, I think it's, it's so unbelievably important. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining the podcast. For those who want to connect with you, learn more about what you do, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. You can like share, follow me, you know, at Nick AESP at, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, I believe YouTube is slash Nick Espinoza. And I know Nick AESP is on Twitter as well. So, you know, come to connect to me and, and say hi. Thank you.